Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily. This is the thousandth episode, and we got the whole crew back together. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me today is Slash Home Senior News Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. News Editor Wydran Bowie. Hey, everyone. Senior Writer and Chief Film Critic Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. Senior Writers Brad Oman. Hello. Hey, that's me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Brad, Brad, what is going I was, on? I got, I got totally thrown off guard by like, the new order of the everybody. New order, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm so early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the, 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 the hierarchy has changed. Uh, senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Can you tell? It's been a while since we've all recorded together. Yeah, it, it has been a long time. Uh, you know, uh, it, as you've seen on the site, we've gotten a redesign. We the 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 amount of writers. I was just talking with HT. Like, how many writers are on the news team now? It's we have twenty dozens. writers on the news team. Wow. Oh wait, is, fifteen writers, twenty editors, or something. not. Okay, sorry, I'm wrong. Editors. I'm, <laughs> 20, twenty total, total. with yeah. editors. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on a podcast in general, I guess. Yeah, and, and then we have like a whole feature side that's writing like features for the site, which I think there's another like twenty or thirty people. So that's a whole separate team. That's uh, a. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I talk to that team, but they operate. More or less independently, uh, except for when we have questions for each other. It's a whole thing now. Yeah. So it, it's been difficult because, like, uh, there's been some restructuring, as you noticed with the, the job titles here. I know, uh, Jacob, you talked about this on a previous podcast. So we don't need to get into here. But uh, it, it's been very – Jacob, your, your, your duties have increased, and it, it's hard to get everybody together. These days. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I'm superhuman because I'm not, but I'm doing about three times as much work as I used to, and it is sometimes killing me and sometimes very exciting. So uh, I'm not superhuman as much as I am somebody who is slowly dying. Help me. I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. It's it just we're, we're going through a period of, of growth and transition right now, and it's it's it, it's tough. We're, uh, but it's also hopefully going to be rewarding when we get to the top of the hill where we're, we're scaling. 
Uh, I know a lot of listeners have written into me asking this question. Uh, so, Jacob, I thought I would pose this question to you because I think if anybody has an answer, maybe it's you. People are like, when are we all going to get together again for water coolers? Like, is that going to be a thing ever? My hope is yes, because right now, because uh, of the situation of how the site is, like I said, we're in, a, we're in a period of growth. We're in a period of things radically changing for Slash Film as a business and, you know, as a company and, and how everything works. So the, the, the hope, the goal is <laughs> that eventually the pieces operate so smoothly and so cleanly that me being able to step away, you know, all of us being able to step away once per week for a water cooler won't be an issue at all. It's just us reaching that point. So fingers crossed, that's my goal. And hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll get there. Yeah, uh, th- that'd be awesome because I-, I miss talking with all of you together as a team. It's it's, it's um, uh, something I- I've missed in the last few months. But okay, so uh, Ben and I were talking about this podcast. Uh, ben brought it up. He was like, last week, he was like, do you realize that the thousandth episode of Slash Film Daily is coming up next week or in two weeks. And I, I had not even, it had not even occurred to me because we do not number these episodes. Ben, how did you even know that this was? So I use Apple Podcasts as my podcast player of choice. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I don't really like it very much, but that's the one that I use. And it automatically numbers all of the episodes for us. So we don't do that ourselves. I just happened to notice that we were in the, you know, the the 980s or whatever it was, the number. And I was like, oh, wow, I can just count ahead and figure out what the date is going to be for the thousandth episode. Yeah. So so we are finally here. We have reached the thousandth episode. Uh, I guess that means that we've been doing this for uh, this podcast for, I guess, probably over three years now. Because we during the pandemic, we went down to three episodes a week. Or during the early days of the pandemic, I should say. It's, we're still in a pandemic. Well, uh, I, I, do, I, didn't, I didn't own a house yet when we first started. This. I used to record in my apartment kitchen. So, And I lived in this house for three years. So it's definitely <laughs> more than three years. Yeah. So uh, w- w- Ben and I were discussing this. Like, how should we celebrate the thousandth episode? Uh, you know, we, we just came down to like, oh, it would be a clip show. But how would we even find the clips in the thousand episodes and it does anybody want to listen to that so uh, we came to the conclusion let's get everybody back together and let's reminisce let's uh let's let's talk about slash film as a whole not just uh this podcast because this 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 group is bigger than the podcast this is about uh the, the site and uh you know I, I thought we'd talk about how how everybody you know how <laughs> How this uh this meager group of Avengers came together? <laughs> what what is the origin story uh for this group? Because I, I'm sure a lot of people don't would like to know more about you guys and and uh, how it all all happened. So I, I I'll start things out because you know I was there at the very beginning. <laughs> Actually, it starts before that. <laughs> uh, so uh, give me a minute. I know this is a long story. I apologize. But, uh, you know, I always grew up loving movies. I was obsessed with movies. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to write movies. Um, and I realized early on the to, to, to <laughs> if you're going to write about movies, the chances of your movie actually getting made is very small. Until I, I discovered filmmakers like Kevin Smith, uh, Rodriguez, like, you know, that whole generation of filmmakers that were like writer directors and they were able to, to get their their vision made because – you know, if you are the director, y- you have more say. <laughs> um, 
I, I was so obsessed with movies that I actually volunteered at Sundance Film Festival for a few years before the site was ever created. I was working there, seeing movies on my time off, going home. Uh, I lived in Massachusetts. I would invite people over to my my living room where I had kind of like a you know a makeshift screening room or whatever, and I would I would play the DVDs of the movies that I had seen at previous sunset uh, Sundances, and I, I, that's the kind of film geek I was. Uh, one day I saw, uh, or actually before this, um, so I I I directed a, a feature film, and by that I don't mean I made like a, a movie with a bunch of my friends. I mean, I did make a movie with friends. Like I, I co-directed the movie with my friend Elaine Mack. And, but this was a movie that was made for <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, we, we did a professional casting call in Boston, Massachusetts. We, we, you know, hired a director of photography. We shot for, I think 20 days or something all around Massachusetts, you know, hired actors, uh, the whole, whole big thing. Uh, it was called Escaping Reality. I wrote this whole piece on SlashFilm.com. I'll link it in the show notes so that this is a shorter story than it needs to be. But I, I will say that during the process of making that movie, which was from conception to final edit, was over three years, I kind of realized that uh, maybe I like watching movies and talking about movies than I like making movies. Uh, the movie was never released. It was called Escaping Reality. You can uh, maybe find the trailer online somewhere. I think it might be linked in that uh, that piece that I did for the site. But uh, that led me to, in a roundabout way, so I, I wrote for the site uh, owned by Engadget. Engadget started a movie site called Cinematical. Um, and... I, I wrote for them that that led me to creating slash film.com as it was just going to be a side thing. I was going to be, you know, working whatever I, I think at the time I was like working at Best Buy as a supervisor or something like, you know, some, some like job like that. Um, I moved to San Francisco when, when slash film, uh, after slash film started and I, I just, it was just meant to be a side thing, a, a venue for me to, talk about movies to have fun about like to uh, discuss my opinions about movies with others and uh, for the first couple of years we, we did have other contributors but it wasn't it wasn't uh well it definitely wasn't what it is today but it wasn't what it was you know uh 10 years ago it it, it, it was uh me doing the majority <laughs> of the post each day, I think maybe like 10, 12 posts by me. And then maybe a, a you know, a handful of others providing like maybe one post a day or something like that. So it, it was very, a very, very different thing. Uh, it, it obviously has grown much bigger since then. Uh, I, I never expected it to, to grow to the place that it has gone. It, um, I, I want to say that we've probably had like three generations of staff. Jacob, would, would that be correct? Three, maybe four, three? Something I think there's like the, the earliest days and then the Russ and Germain days and then us and now the current generation. So yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, we're in so generation four. Genera- yeah, slash film 4.0. Yeah, <laughs> but, but us, uh, the core crew on the podcast, we're 3.0. We're, we're so-, <laughs> so you're saying we're being replaced? Oh, we're being upgraded. <laughs> um actually this is a good question like is the person that's been at the site the longest 
other than me, that would be you, Jacob, right? It would be Brad. Or would it be? Oh, yeah, it would be Brad. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. Hey, that's me. <laughs> so, Brad, people probably want to know, like, how did you, well, what were you doing before Slash Home? How did you, you get involved with Slash Home? Uh, so, I mean, I had always uh, followed Slash Film since my college days. You, got, you guys and Cinematical uh, were my go-to movie blogs when I, when I was still in college. Uh, so I was always a fan. And then uh, I, I broke into this industry um, in 2009 because I, I was living in Los Angeles. I had just graduated college and I was interning uh, at a, an entertainment management production company, uh, Mosaic Media Group, which is uh, the company owned by Jimmy Miller, who represents like Will Ferrell and um, a bunch of comedy stars. And they've produced like Step Brothers and things like that. And so I was working as an intern there. And then uh, I, because this was my first time in LA and I was living there, I was always just doing random things that most people probably were like, oh, whatever. They didn't care about anything like that. And uh, one of these events was um, a book signing with Guillermo del Toro. It was uh, the first book in the Strain series that had just come out. And so I went, I was like, yeah, I would love to meet Guillermo del Toro and get a book signed by him. And while I was there, um, I, I met Alex Billington, who ran for showing.net, who started his site along t- uh, around the same time that you, you guys did. Um, and you were already really good friends. And so uh, at the time, I had asked him if he was looking for anybody to uh, to write. I was aware of for showing um, because I followed you and you guys had interacted online. And uh, he wasn't at, at the, that moment, but, you know, we uh, you know exchanged emails and whatnot and parted ways. And then a few months later, um, he reached out to me and was looking for to help with coverage when he was going to film festivals and stuff like that. And so uh, to make this shorter is basically I started doing it just for free for fun on the side while I was still working in LA. I kept doing it when I moved back home to Indiana because 2009 was the worst time to get a job uh, anywhere, let alone in the one of the most exclusive <laughs> industries in the United States. Also, that um, explains your your pen name. It does. That's yeah, so that's, that's a good point. Uh, for those of you who haven't, didn't know, um, the reason I have the pen name of Ethan Anderton is because when I started writing online, I was still trying to get jobs in the entertainment industry, and I didn't want my real name linked to any potentially disparaging criticism uh, to a production company, studio, what have you, that I might be trying to get a job at. So uh, once I was done doing that, I, it was the, the online profile was kind of already established, and I just stuck with it. And so um, that's why that still exists. Uh, but so I, I moved back home. Uh, it was too expensive to live in L.A. The jobs weren't coming. I kept writing for first showing just for fun. Um, I had a different full-time job, but then as time went on, I became a part-time employee getting paid and then full-time. And then while I was doing stuff full-time uh, for first showing, I started picking up uh, freelance TV stuff at sites like Collider and Screen Rant, um, a defunct site called Geek Nation that Ben has some fun experience with as well. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, I was actually um, looking to uh, potentially get out of uh, writing about movies because um, the advertising money at first showing kind of started trailing off a little bit. And I was my, was considering getting into teaching. I was started a transition to teaching program to become a high school uh, English teacher, something that I could still incorporate my passion for storytelling and, uh, and movies and writing. Uh, and then while I was doing that, I happened to see if Slash Film was uh, looking to have any extra part-time work. I, I had become friends with you, Peter, be- uh, because of first showing, uh, seeing you at set visits and Comic-Con, and we shared Sundance condos before I even started working at Slash Film. 
Uh, and so it worked out that you guys were considering adding a weekend editor into the equation. And that ended up turning into a bigger full-time job when there was a, a shift with uh, Russ Fisher and, and, um, and Angie Han. And then it turned into this, you know, full-time gig. And here I am with all of you now. Yeah. It's interesting. You tell, tell the story because I don't think people realize, but when slash one was started, this was in, uh, 2005. So that's what 16 years ago, over 16 years ago. Um, when it was started, the movie industry was not what it is today in terms of like them working with, uh, I guess what you'd call new media, uh, movie blogs, uh, movie websites, the people that were invited to junkets and, and stuff like that were, were all the print magazines and, and stuff. And I, I even remember being in San Francisco trying to get on my local, my local, um, uh, what do you call that? Like publicity firm. Like the, so the movie studios, like, they they operate nationwide but they operate uh thanks to like these local publicity firms that hold the screenings and stuff like that and i remember trying to get like before slash film there was a very adversarial um relationship between these like movie sites and movie studios i think maybe like ain't it cool news was uh maybe a little bit to blame because they were leaking stuff and running uh, test audience reviews and stuff like that. And uh, I remember trying to get on the the press screening list in San Francisco and Slash One was kind of taking off at first and they were like, no, we don't we don't work with with, with movie blogs. And uh, th- they would hold these press screenings, but the press screenings would also be with these radio um, contests. Like people would enter these contests to get to see these movies like the week before release in the theater to fill because they would want to fill out the 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 audience uh fill out the theater um and what i would do is i would enter these contests get into the the audience i would be there you know a week before the movie comes out and i'd write a review and run it on my site and i i'd been doing that for a couple times before the press screening people that had told me no were like fine if we invite you will you will you stay to the embargo and not run this early and not get us in trouble with the movie studios? Anyways, um, this is a long way of saying that uh, when Brad, when you, you were getting into this and you even did the pen name thing, like that was a thing. Like the people working for Ana cool news were all like, not their real names. It was, it, it was a different environment at the time and how uh, the movie industry treated websites. So, um, I guess, okay, let's move on to Jacob. Jacob, how did you, uh, what were you doing before Slash Film? Oh, man. I first started writing about movies on a long, long defunct uh, website called everyonesacritic.net, which was literally a place people could, it was Letterbox before Letterbox. Like, if this guy had made this website 10 years later, 12, 15 years later, he would have had Letterbox, but he didn't. And it was just a place where you could log movie reviews and things you've seen. And it's here where I uh, met some other writers, uh, much older than me. I was 15 at the time, and they were all in their 30s, and they didn't, and they wanted to start a movie website. And they said, let's have Jacob be the third writer on it. And that didn't last very long, but they were called independentcritics.com. It didn't last long at all. Um, because I went to college, I went to film school, and I just kind of trailed off doing that. And I learned the hard way in film school that I'm bad at making movies. Like, man, I'm a terrible film director. And... 
I, in order to start making some extra money, I started working for a website called SciFiSquad.com, which was introduced to me by some college friends who happened to know a man named Eric Davis, who is now the like the, the figurehead for Fandango. If you know the uh, online world of film writers and, and film you know journalists, and Eric Davis took, took a chance on me as I write for SciFiSquad.com and its sister site HorrorSquad.com, and eventually. Uh, I graduate from college. I'm still writing for these sites. And uh, Horror Squad and Sci-Fi Squad get folded into Cinematical.com, the third mention of Cinematical on this podcast. So now I'm writing for Cinematical, and I'm writing for um, MoviePhone.com, which is owned by AOL, which also owns Cinematical at that point. Uh, but I'm also working at Target. I'm working retail. I'm, you know, working oftentimes the closing you know, shifts at Target, uh, you know, working from like 4 p.m. to like 2 p.m. sometimes and going home and writing movie stuff. And it was really, really rough and bad. And it was a really nasty time in my life where I where I realized I need to commit to one thing or the other. And eventually I started freelancing full time. I was writing for numerous websites. Uh, first of all, Huffington Post bought Cinematical and fired everybody. Uh, that was a terrible situation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Cinematical is no more. But I wrote for Movies.com, I wrote for Fandango, I wrote for uh, Esquire, Entrepreneur. Uh, you've, and I used to cover South by Southwest for Entrepreneur. Uh, go to their, go like business presentations and fake my way through writing about business because business stuff paid so well. And eventually there was a job opening at for a writer at SlashFilm.com. I said, oh, this is a website that's been around for a while. I, I read SlashFilm. I remember that Peter made me audition by making me um, write up a, a piece of Spider-Man casting news in 30 minutes or less. And I did. And I got the job. And then, you know, the, the rest is history. I was eventually <laughs> able to stop writing for other sites and Slash Film became my career. Yeah, we often would have, like, when we were trying to hire a news, a new news person, we wanted to see what they could do with like the slash film style of uh, like not only providing an opinion, but providing extra details, uh, analysis, uh, diving into stuff. Uh, so what we would do is when we would be interviewing, we would have someone write a fake news story. We'd make up a news story. And what what was your Spider-Man? I don't even remember this. You had me write, um, (laughs) about, about, uh, about Tom Holland, not Tom Holland, uh, Andrew Garfield being cast as Spider Man. Mine wasn't fake, but I remember. Oh, that so yours had, was real. Okay. Yeah, when we had other people uh, tr- uh, audition for Slash Film, get tested for Slash Film, I actually remember remember vividly the one we gave the next round of hires, which was <laughs> Martin Scorsese has been hired to direct a Star Wars movie, and that's the only information known. He can you write four hundred words on that prompt? And I love that prompt because it, it it tested how well does this person know Star Wars. And well, how well is this person at no, Martin Scorsese, and how well can they use their knowledge of both to fill out a news post? And I always thought that was such a clever way to see what a writer's range was. Yeah, and it's funny because uh, most people came up with like a Job of the Hut or Boba Fett uh, gangster movie, and was uh, that now, my now that test prompt, I don't yeah, know. It was. It was. I remember vividly Chris's was because I remember even though Chris didn't get hired until a little later, I remember Peter and I both being super impressed by Chris describing a Martin Scorsese tracking shot through the, through Moss Eisley. I remember being, <laughs> oh, this, this guy's really good at, this guy's really good at writing. I remember that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but it's funny that now, uh, Disney's basically doing that, but without Martin Scorsese. So, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, who, who, who's next in the hiring list? I, I guess HG and I, HG and I got hired at the same time, right? Yep. Yeah. Same day same day wow also yeah. i should say that we were hiring two 
in a final three were HT, Ben, and Chris. And we made the impossible choice to not hire Chris. And, and later on, we were able to hire him when, when the next opening came up. But that was literally our, our top three choices from that batch, and it killed us. I remember that. And uh, I think at first we were only going to hire one person, right? And then we ended up hiring two. Yeah, I think you're or, right, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, but we ended up getting all three. So we, 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 we finished our Pokemon collection. Jacob, I think HG was the, the next one we officially decided on for sure. Because I remember Angie Han, who I replaced as managing editor, fought hard for HG after her submission. So I think yeah, HG should probably be I was going to be the next Asian woman in the, in the staff. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> no, it was fun. I, I actually had um, like brunch with Angie uh, in New York before she moved to L.A., and I was like, did you hire me because I'm Asian and a woman? And she's like, no, it's because you were really qualified. So, yeah. you know, I just. But actually, <laughs> you do bring up a, a good point here, uh, HT, because things have changed even in the period of time that when you got hired. When when were you hired? What year was that? Uh, it was 2017. Yeah. yeah. Because I think back then we even like were encouraging female writers to apply at Slash Film. We were we we wanted it not to be just like you know a bunch of dudes giving their opinions on movies. And I I think like Jacob, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't we get like hundreds of submissions? And I think there was like five or ten females that applied. We not, had not over seven, that we, we, had, we had over seven hundred applications uh, for, for for the round where we hired HD and Ben. And I'd say maybe ten of them were from female writers. So it was it was harder to find uh, female writers that were. I and there were female writers out there. I don't want to like make it look like it was all guys writing about movies, but a lot of them were writing for like big expensive print publications. And uh, Slash Home was you know uh, one of the, the the movie websites. So it it was it was I don't know it, it's 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 amazing because now you look at the slash home front page and you look at the names and there are so many females writing for the site. We actually have more women on staff now than we have men. Yeah. But um, I'm so glad that has changed. So, so HG, tell us about yourself. How did you uh, come to find slash home? Well, uh, I was, I majored in journalism in college, uh, believe it or not. Um, and I was doing the rounds of internships, unpaid and slightly better paid than unpaid. Uh, after graduation, I interned at uh, the quote unquote fancy print publications like USA Today and the Washington Post and did not get jobs at any of them. So it was just kind of, um, you know, figuring out what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be in journals. I wanted to write about movies and I wanted to become a film critic at some point. But uh, the path was was kind of uh, not really set, I guess you'd say. And uh, I'd been reading Slash Film for a while. I read it, I think, all through college. And it was one of my go-to movie websites. I think that and like AV Club were some of my favorites. And Slash Film, when I was interning and like freelancing for USA Today for their for the entertainment section was one of the sites I would go to first to pick up stories and like pick up story ideas because um, it was just always really fast and up to date with all the movie news that I cared about. The funny thing is when I was at USA Today, um, I, it was very like celebrity forward so i was the only one pitching superhero stuff and that and <laughs> often it would get you know nicks and i was like this is huge like superheroes are gonna be big guys <laughs> and uh, they would always turn me down um so i had um 
been, you know, I think I wrote at a couple other places. I wrote this place called The Tracking Board, uh, where I wrote like TV reviews for them. Um, uh, in addition to just like do, doing some writing for USA Today, but um, when I got the job at at Slash, when I applied uh, with that big. Um, we're hiring uh, thing through Twitter and I was like, oh, might as well just do it. And um, I got the job and I was really, really excited because I would actually be getting to write about things I would cared about and things I wanted to talk about. Um, and at the time I was, I was full time at uh, this, I don't really like to talk about it because it's not really a place that I enjoyed working, but it was called the Washington Examiner and it was in DC and it was this politically conservative news magazine. When I applied there, when I got the job there, it used to be a local newspaper. And then they're like, we're transitioning. And I was like, okay, well, this sucks. Um, <laughs> so I was, you know, it was just a paycheck there. But um, uh, I, the funny thing was once I was starting to like turn my focus more to slash film and starting to leave the examiner, they're like, hey, do you want to write a pop culture column? Because uh, it seems like pop culture and politics are starting to become like a big intersection. And I was like, nope, bye. I'm going to slash film. <laughs> and um i decided uh about a year and a half in of writing for slash film uh, as a freelance thing just to to make it full time and to um take the leap and soon after i started working for slash film full time i decided to move to new york i became the new york point person uh and that just kind of exploded all the the stuff i was getting to write about and i eventually you completed your 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 um your goal of fully replacing Angie Han and I really to New York. did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um of course like I think very soon after I moved or maybe right before I moved up to New York, she had moved to LA. So I just kind of really did slide in to her place. <laughs> um but yeah, it, slash film has honestly changed my life, I have to say. Um I oh. was not writing movie reviews before and now I'm like I'm on Rotten Tomatoes I'm a movie critic and I am writing about things I love with people I love so it's uh it's been a, a real journey um and I just uh I'm really grateful to all you guys oh <laughs> Ben you you were hired the same day that HT was hired or the same week I should say I'm not sure if – did we tell them the same day, Jacob? I don't even remember. You probably have better memory than me. We emailed them on the same day for sure. Same I, day. I, remember, I remember vividly because you uh, – Ben had written an article for a previous website where he had broken down the packaging on a Star Wars toy as what it could mean <laughs> for a new movie. And he was, like, he was like, Ben gets it. Ben gets it. I was like – <laughs> I remember this so vividly. <laughs> because a lot of people were writing about movies and it would just be a regurgitation of what Variety or Hollywood Reporter did. And what I was always looking for when I was hiring or part of the hiring process for Slash Home was someone that delved deeper. And if you could delve deeper with a toy. <laughs> uh, ben, tell us about yourself and how, how you found yourself to Slash Home. Well, yeah, Slashfilm was my favorite website and remains my favorite website. It, uh, I mean, since 2005 when it launched, like I, I remember, I think I probably caught it like, you know, month three of its existence or something like super early on. And it just became like my homepage and I would check it compulsively throughout the day. Uh, the Slash Filmcast, which is now the Filmcast, was the first podcast that I ever listened to. Um, 
So being uh, asked to come on and, and review the fate of the furious with them, you know, several years ago when that came out was a really big deal for me. Uh, and then obviously like, yeah, getting hired to, to write for the site was incredible. So um, yeah, I, I moved to LA in 2009 and started writing for this website called geektyrant.com. And I really like the, the people who run, who continue to run that site. They're, they're great guys over there. They took a chance on me. I basically had like a personal, I had like a blog spot uh, account that was like, my version of slash film and all these other movie blogs that was happening where I was just like, well, I'm like some little nobody from Florida. Like nobody's going to hire me. So I just like started my own little blog and was just writing the things that I would have written if I had been hired by any of these, you know, bigger movie blogs. Um, And the guys at Geek Tyrant took a chance on me and, and uh, I was able to go to Comic-Con with them and Sundance with them. And and I, I wrote off and on for them for several years. Uh, as Brad mentioned, I worked for this company called Geek Nation for a while. That uh, ended very, very poorly. Um, the, the less said about that, the better. Uh, I wrote for First Showing for a little bit. I wrote for Screen Rant for a little bit. Um, I, but yeah, actually, right around the time that I got hired at Slash Film, I don't know if I told you guys this. I may have told you this when, like, in my earliest days of being hired. But uh, I was working at this company. I was essentially hired to be a one-man crew for a company that recorded legal depositions. So they gave me a big foldable backdrop and a tripod and a phone with this proprietary app on it. And I would drive to these office buildings around LA. And actually, I, one, one time I had to drive all the way from LA to San Diego to, to do one of these things. And I set this whole setup uh, up in, in like a big conference room and a person would come in and two opposing lawyers would come in and I'd have to record this person's testimony with this app. And it was like instantly accessible in the cloud. So lawyers didn't have to wait on transcription services or something. I, it was like, you know, so far outside of the realm of my interests or anything like that, but it was tough to find a job. And that was one of the places that I could uh, work here and there and still write on the side. So that was my life uh, around the time that I got hired by Slash Film. And as soon as I got the the word from you guys, I was just like, all right, weird legal company. I am no longer, <laughs> my services are no longer uh, on, on display for you. So um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much it. That's, that's the uh, Ben Pearson origin story or the, <laughs> the Slash Film oh, yeah. origin story. Um, Chris, we haven't heard from you yet. So you, you are the, the last of the bunch. Uh, to tell us your, your story. Uh, okay. So uh, I had never really thought about writing about movies. I loved movies. I, I wanted to, you know, make movies, which I feel like is what half the people on this staff dreamed of when they were younger. And I also love to write and I mostly wrote, you know, like fiction and stuff like that. And um, at one point, two of my friends were like, we're starting uh, a movie blog. You want to write for it? Because they knew, you know, I like to write. And I was like, sure. So uh, we, you know, we started writing these you know, reviews and, and editorials and, you know, it was all for free. And uh, it was basically just sort of like failing upwards where like I, I inadvertently, um, uh, this was around the time the first Guardians of the Galaxy was coming out. And I like Googled like Disney email contacts and I found one and I was like, do you have any screenings of this I could go to? And someone actually got back to me and they were like, sure. 
And then they emailed me again. They were like, do you want to be added to our critics list? And I was like, yes, I would. I didn't know that was even a thing. So I got added to that. And uh, after a while, the, the two guys we I started this blog with, they realized we were never going to be uh, a success. You know, they were, we were never going to make money off of this. Uh, this was around the time like the Dissolve was shutting down because that was like a big site of time, but the Dissolve couldn't make it. And they were sort of like, if this site with these really great writers can't make it. We don't stand a friggin' chance. And they sort of like gave up, but I got hooked on it. And I, I was really, it, it felt like, like this was what I had been waiting to do my whole life. And I didn't realize it like, Oh, I, you know, and I was just like cranking out reviews and articles and all sorts of things. And so I started freelancing, uh, you know, and finally getting paid at sites. And I had um, met Angie, Angie Han. Uh, I don't really remember how I met her, but I had met her and, she had told me slash film was hiring. Uh, and I, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to apply. Cause I, you know, I probably won't get hired, but I applied anyway and I didn't get hired, but Jacob uh, was very nice. And he said, you know, we really like your writing. Uh, if you want to freelance for us, you know, just send in things from time to time, we would love to have you do that. And I was like, all right, sure. So I was doing that for a while. I can't remember how long I was doing that. And then I remember, um, I was like, you know, I, I go to the Toronto film festival. I started going just on my own, you know, basically just writing for the, the blog I wrote for, for free. And I told Jacob, you know, I go to TIFF. Do you guys need TIFF coverage? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I, I was at TIFF and I was still freelancing for slash film. And while I was there, uh, Jacob emailed me and he said, we have a position now. Do you want to join, you know, the site for real? And at the time I was working at um, a medical supply company. I was, I got hired to be their data entry person. And I sort of just sort of ended up becoming their IT guy, even though I have no IT training. I wasn't you know, getting paid <laughs> IT money, but like <laughs> everyone, wait, everyone wait, wait, who worked wait, Chris, how, how did happened? you get hired? Well, I'm going to yeah. tell you, I'm going to get to it. <laughs> so everyone who worked there was like old, like in their, when I say old, I mean like, 50s and above older than me basically and they didn't understand how computers worked even though everything was done on computer and so they would be like you're young how do you do this on the computer and that sort of convinced them i was like a computer expert which i am not but because i knew more about computers than everyone at this company they sort of just made me their it guy and i i hated working there it was a terrible place half the people who worked there were like Republicans, which I don't want to work with those people. Hey, and Chris, we had very similar situations. And like, I remember like my last year there was right before it was during the 2016 election. And like half the people there were like all in on Trump. And I was like, I got to get the frig out of this place. I don't want to work with these people. And that was when, uh, you know, that offer came in and uh, from Jacob and, and, and Peter and slash film. And, you know, to, to leave there would have been, uh, you know, uh, a downgrade in pay. And, you know, I, and I was sort of hesitant about that. And I was really close to just saying no, just because I was worried I couldn't afford it. And I, you know, I, I said, you know, I emailed my wife because, again, at the time I was in Toronto and she was home. And I was like, I don't know what to do because, I you know, I really want to do this. This would be like a dream come true. But I don't want us to, you know, end up in the poor house. And, you know, my wife... Uh, God love her. She's very supportive. And she said, look, you know, you're probably not going to get a chance like this again. You might as well take it because I know you want to do it and we'll be fine. And so I said, all right, I will do it. And I told work 
I came back from Toronto and the first day I came back to my job, I was like, I'm leaving. And my manager was like, well, can you give us two weeks? And I said, no, I can't because I want to get the hell out of here because I hate it. Here. I didn't actually say that, but that's, that's, you know, read between the lines. That's what I wanted. So, uh, yeah. And that's, that's basically yeah. it. So I, I left and it, there it, and, and it all didn't work out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no. That's the story. And uh, yeah, that's where I am right now. And now you're the the chief film critic. What does that even mean, Chris? It means absolutely nothing. It's a title and uh, it makes me feel better. It means your best critic, Chris. Uh, It means that Chris Chris gets first refusal of all reviews. Uh, And and in the near future, wink, wink, Chris will be, uh, uh, fingers crossed, um, having a bigger hand in more reviews. So yeah, hopefully. But yeah, so yeah, that's the, that's the story. And it's, um, you know, it's been, you know, I, I, you know, I have my, my good days and my bad days, but I, I am eternally grateful that I got this chance because like I said, you know, I was working shitty office jobs, uh, pretty much all my adult life. Cause it's just, I, I don't have a college degree. I went to college briefly for journalism and then I dropped out. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of jobs out there, they don't hire you unless you have a college degree. Although I think that's like changing now, but at the time, I couldn't friggin' get anywhere except like shitty office jobs, data entry jobs. And I felt like I was dying. And when this came along, it was like, I, you know, I got to do this. And, um, I, you know, my worst day at slash film is nowhere near my worst day working <laughs> awful office jobs with, with awful Republicans. <laughs> so I am, I'm eternally grateful that, that I, I got this chance. I can't even imagine the alternate universe where Chris didn't get hired to write about movies and is an IT guy. I would, Chris would be in his grave at this point. I think if (laughs) if Chris hadn't uh, gotten this opportunity. So let's put it that way. I don't know, but you are so talented, Chris. Uh, Like, I don't know, you were meant to write write movie reviews. So I'm I'm so glad that you were, I mean, would you say that you're living your dream? (laughs) I mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my real dream probably would involve, you know, a lot more money in my life, but beyond that, <laughs> the fact that you know, this is, you know, yeah. this is my, 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 I literally make my living watching and writing about movies. That's you, you really can't, you know, for someone like me, you cannot beat that because that's, that's what I love. I love movies. I love talking about movies. And but when I say talking, I mean writing because I don't really like to talk out loud, but, uh, you know, <laughs> so that, that's, yeah, that really is, you know, really is living the dream. You know, I, I yeah, for some reason, I I actually only realized like a couple of years ago, even something like that. That like I even so Mike, uh, like Chris said, you know, a lot of us like we did dream of wanting to like make movies, and it's such a hard industry to break into, you know. Um, and it comes with that stigma of like, oh, all critics are people who failed at making movies, and it's like, yeah, fuck off. Um, but like, it's it's a tough industry to break into, and so but like you you still you find a way to like you know use your passions, talk talk and write, and just be involved with the things that you want to, and so like. Um, even though like you could say technically this isn't my dream job because my dream job was like writing and directing movies like this is still a dream job to me because it's like uh, like you know like Ben I, I started my my own blog when I was in college too that you know just like my friends read um, and it's fu- it's funny I, I kind of had the same dynamic uh, with the original guys who founded the film stage as Peter did with Alex Billington and for showing because the film stage started around the same time that I started mine and we became friends on Twitter and like have known each other for years now. 
but like yeah just a couple of years ago like i thought about it and like it's it's crazy that this, this really is like my dream job for the longest time like i wanted to go to to screenings and be able to like um you know write about movies and review them in advance and like and then like as like a side thing too i always wanted to be someone who was able to pay attention to like movie collectibles and memorabilia and stuff like that. And, you know, now I'm lucky enough, uh, you know, that I get stuff just sent to me for free. It's, it's ridiculous to me that I get sent hundreds of dollars of toys for free just because like I, I write about them now. And that's something that I, I had always wanted, you know, so it's, it's very cool. It's, it's to have, you know, a job that really is a dream job. Yeah. You mentioned that. And I was just thinking, like, you know, it, it was so – like when Slash Film was taking off, I, I made friends with – you know, you mentioned Alex Billington. Uh, there's Neil Miller at Film School Rejects. Uh, there's a couple – there's a, a group of us that were like the the new movie blog people because the, the, the people that worked for the uh, the magazines and the, the print uh, – like, I don't know. There was really like this hierarchy. Like there was this line in the sand and those people did not like – uh, help or talk to the people that were just the online guys. I remember one year, one of the first years that I was at Sundance covering Sundance um, for Slash Home. And I remember being in a shuttle bus because you had to take these shuttle buses from movie screening to the movie screening. And uh, I was there with like, I think Alex and Neil. And uh, there was these two women who write for Entertainment Weekly, which I don't even know who they were or like if they're still there or like I, I like I have no information on who they were, but I like they were like, oh, who do you write for? Because I saw like our press badge and we were like, uh, you know, slash film. It's it's a movie blog. And she, the response was like, so does that mean you live in your your mom, or your, your your parents basement? That, that was like the, the response from a professional <laughs> film writer <laughs> to me saying that I was a movie blogger. So, uh, so t- I don't know. Times have changed. Things have gotten better. Uh, let's, uh, speaking of they, getting they've better. They've changed, but they've only changed recently, which is kind of crazy. Because I remember when I was first starting, and this was, you know, 2016, 2015, which wasn't that long ago. I used to always get questions where it was like, who do you write for, print or online? No one, no one asked that anymore. But even back then, when <laughs> the internet was pretty much everywhere, there were still like... PR people who were like, "Ugh, you write online? No, thank." And it's like, "Hey, genius! Everyone's going to be writing online soon, so get with the times, nerd." Yeah, this, this <laughs> happened to me uh, when I was on a trip for a Rogue One junket in San Francisco. They were putting us on a bus to Skywalker Ranch. Uh, cool gigs, just jobs. <laughs> cool, cool things happen to jobs sometimes. Uh, and I sit next to a, a guy. He wanted to know who I wrote for. He, I think he's, he was with. Los Angeles Times, some, some big newspaper. And when I said Slash Film, it's like, what's that? And I said, it's a movie website. And he immediately lost all interest in me. He immediately tried to find anybody else to talk to. I'm like, good, I want to, I want to talk to you either. So it still happens. It's still a thing. And it really, uh, I, I don't think people realize that sites like Slash Film have a longer, heavier reach than the LA Times would. I don't know. When I started uh, doing set visits for Slash Film, when I said, I was from Slash Film. People actually recognized it, which was very exciting for me. Well, that's the di- the difference is the filmmakers, like the people involved, would recognize it because uh, I don't know they they like reading the you know uh, from film geeks about uh, not only their movies but also you know about the industry, and they they weren't reading 
Hollywood Reporter or, you know, I guess they would read about it when they, when they wrote about them. But, uh, you know, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, favorite moments working for the site, which, you know, I wrote down in this document before we started recording this. And I'm not even sure I have a clear answer for this. But I, I for, for me, one of the coolest things working for the site was um you know i i got into this because i loved movies and i loved like there was a handful of certain directors that i was really like obsessed with and uh, just loving their work and to be at a film festival and be stopped on the street by these people that like were like gods to me, <laughs> to me, uh, uh, was, was like one of the coolest things at the beginning of the site taking off is, you know, the site was taking off, but like we were still, you know, three, four people working on the site compared to like, you know, an entertainment weekly or Hollywood reporter, which have hundreds, maybe thousand. I don't know. A lot of people working there and uh you know to be stopped on the street by like a, a darren aronofsky or jason reitman or you know whoever like it that was like for someone who wanted to get into this and be a filmmaker and realized that he you know didn't either didn't have what it takes to be a filmmaker or didn't have the patience to uh have enthusiasm about one 90 minute story for three four five years of your life um <laughs> Uh, that was that was some of the coolest stuff to me was uh, feeling the vindication of you know being ha- you know sitting at lunch with some of these people like that I, I've become friendly with and not them reciting not being them being like oh thank you for saying this about my movie but like them reciting something I had written about some other movie that had nothing to do with them the week before like them showing that they uh, you know cared and were interested in, in my opinions on movies as much as I cared and was interested in, in the, the art that they created. So I wanted to ask you guys, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Jacob, what, what are some of your favorite moments working for the site? The moment that's probably my favorite. And I thought really long and hard about this is the night I got home from seeing star Wars, the last Jedi. I was not reviewing movies. I like I like Chris and HG and others review movies, uh, but I couldn't get the movie out of my head, which is you know an unusual thing for a main main like mainstream blockbuster like that. And I was sitting there in bed and I just couldn't shake it about why this movie had impacted me the way it did. And I grabbed my laptop and stayed up late and I wrote like two thousand words about about Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and. I published it, and I remember you telling me, Peter, that the article ended up doing really, really well. And, and I, we're still, I, Jacob, we're, I honestly yeah. think it might be one of the most read articles in the history of Slash Film. Well, that's like really probably in the top like ten or twenty. And I, I, I know we're, we're still litigating that movie, and we're still like, and we're still you know, uh, arguing about it. And people always accuse us of like, why are you faking liking that movie? Why do you put it in like your top ten a decade when clearly you don't like? It, you're trying to troll us, which is not <laughs> true at all. It's, it's, it's such a ridiculous thing to say. But I remember the response yeah. to that article being it was so widely shared. I heard from so many people, filmmakers, film fans, other film writers, uh, who responded to it, and I, I, I just felt like being on the cusp of of that conversation, like being part of the very first salvo of, hey, last Jedi's a masterpiece guys and people responding to it uh and maybe helping start ignite 
the, the goddamn war that movie still has in Star Wars <laughs> fandom remains for me. The moment it stands out is my ultimate slash film moment. And Jacob, I'm so glad that you mentioned that piece because first of all, it's like one of my favorite things that I've ever read in any medium. I love that article so, so much. And I was, I just remember, um, being the person who got to proofread that article before it got published. So I think I might've been the first person to read that other than you or maybe your wife or something. And I just was like, like shaking in my chair. I was just like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe how great this piece is. Like that, that, that is not a feeling that I get very often. Uh, but that was a really special moment. Yeah. Jacob, I, I also want to chime in and say that piece is so good that it made me mad because I, <laughs> I, I had been like, thinking about some similar like parallel thoughts about the movie. And I was trying to figure out how to put it, but you just like framed it in the perfect way that I was like, well, shit, like anything I say about this now (laughs) is nowhere near as good. And it's just, it's such a good article about that movie, which, which I also love so much. Yeah. It's a great piece. I'm going to link it. You're all very kind. You're all very way, way, way too kind. One of my favorite pieces on the site, just chiming in too, because I also want to add the love. (laughs) You now I have to say that too. I'm going to look like an asshole. I'll be the only one who doesn't say that. But I really do mean it. It's a very good piece. Jacob, I just thought it was okay. No, no. It, it, it's a great <laughs> I'm going to link it in the show notes. So if you haven't read the piece, it, it, like, it is worth your time. Like save it to your device and read it while you, know, you have some time to like focus. Because it's long. So, so when you have t- some time to focus and not be bothered by social media and stuff like that, uh, read Jacob's piece. But um, uh, I guess uh, HT, what are what some, some of your favorite moments working for the site? One of my favorite moments was going to see John Wick 3 with Chris. Aw. <laughs> yeah. And well, we, that was the first time we met in person, I think. And yeah. then we watched John Wick 3, uh, which was just a fantastic movie, of course. One of my favorite recent action films. And sitting with Chris, uh, sitting next to Chris, at a movie when he likes a movie you can really tell because he's like vibrating with excitement <laughs> and that was a really <laughs> this is a weird thing yeah anyways i was just really excited to meet chris and watch a great movie with him and talk about it afterwards with him and hear and feel him be excited about it and um also at that same meeting he chris asked if i'd watch the dark knight which i thought was really funny <laughs> Um, and, yeah, you're young. I'm just a, you're a young person. You're a young we lady. Are on a, we're I don't. On a website. We write. We work on our website that writes yeah. about superheroes. So, I'm just, anyways, but that I, was just one of the memorable things. Even for now, me. Chris, like the Dark Knight is like a seminal movie Look, at this point. I, to defend myself, I don't want to make it sound like. <laughs> Please don't make it sound like I was like, have you seen the dark? I wasn't like, you know, generic guy. So I was just, I asked it in a very polite way. He did. He did. He was being very considerate. Yeah. And thank you for that. I just thought it was a very funny moment. And also well, because a great day. There's nothing, I think it's, it's rude when people just assume people know things. So I was trying to be polite and it backfired and made me look like an idiot. So I'm sorry. Anyways, Chris is, is the greatest and it was great seeing a movie with him. Um, other moments i feel like wait wait, before you say this i I do i do want to say that like it kind of sucks that we have to all write about movies from like our own separate places in the world Mm -hmm. and this is some of my favorite moments was when we when we're able to get together as a team but like even then it's like not we're not all together because people would have to be you know at home right writing and covering stuff so like when we're at it's like comic-con when we had HT, we had uh, Chris was at Com- 
Chris loved Comic Con. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Brad, Jacob. I don't know. Like those were some fun times because it was like really. I mean, I guess Chris and HT got to hang out with each other in person a bunch because they were near each other in uh, the Northeast. But that was like the only times that we all as a bunch kind of got – not all. I guess I'm using the word all incorrectly. But uh, a majority of us were able to get together and like actually sit down around a table and hang out and have fun uh, even though it was in the middle of like the stressfulness of covering – the thing that was comic-con yeah yeah our, our pancake nuts. breakfast oh our yeah pancake the pancake breakfast, breakfast. With, with uh peter ht and me at the last comic-con before the pandemic and we decided man this should be a tradition pancakes and last day of comic-con then covid happened uh. <laughs> i still haven't met ben and brad in person <laughs> that's crazy yeah oh yeah i, 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 saw, yeah, I, I didn't even I realize ben. that i've yeah. never met ben i met all, everybody else but not ben <laughs> really you ever met ben? That's yeah wow. oh man Crazy. Anyways, uh, uh, next uh, slash film trip is uh, to Florida to visit Ben, right? Yes, <laughs> we're all going to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but yeah, um, I guess uh, favorite moments. Um, I really liked that Coco piece I wrote. Um, I wrote about, I visited Pixar uh, to do a... Um, a long lead sort of piece on it. And um, I wrote about how Coco and the immigrant experience and that whole thing, my thing now, I guess. Um, And uh, just the celebration of the day of the dead, sort of reflecting my own, um, you know, personal family uh, experiences too. And that was a piece that I was really proud of. And I still think about a lot. And it's um, really good. I proofread that one. Thank you. Yeah. I think, Brad actually edited that piece, and I, I got he, I oh. got a nice DM from him. And oh, like, I, I thought I read that. I, remember, no. I must have read it for fun then. Because it was a, it was over a weekend or something, and um, Brad read it, and he's like, "This, I just wanted to say, I really like this piece." I'm like, "Thanks," and then it also led to me getting, you know, a spot on this YouTube channel because uh, this, uh, they they liked my that piece in particular, and were like, "Oh, let's you know talk about this and do other things," and I was like, oh, "Okay, cool." So, just those kind of things, the ripple effect of that. And I'm still really proud of that piece and uh, writing about my own personal experiences, which is something I hate doing, but for some reason it's become my thing (laughs) and my best writing when I write about those. So uh, yeah, that's one I'm really proud of and a a moment that was really, I really cherish. Um, Getting recognized at (laughs) Comic-Con was crazy. Uh, But yeah, uh, just moments like that, hanging out with Chris. (laughs) That sounds like a weird thing to say, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. It's great. Everyone yeah. wants to hang out with Chris. I do want to hang out with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what are your some some of your favorite moments uh, working well, with Sasha? Yeah, I I'll say the John Wick moment so I don't look like a rude person, but I do meet it. It was it was very nice to meet HT because she was exactly how I pictured her being very very nice and sunny, and I have a rain cloud constantly over my head. So it was it was a fun <laughs> a fun day. Um, I, I, I don't have any pieces I can highlight cause I think everything I write sucks, but, um, I have two, two of my moments aren't really site related. I mean, they're site related, but they don't really involve the site. One was my, my pet cemetery, pet visit, pet visit, set visit, um, which is actually the only set visit I've ever gone on because, uh, 
set visits don't happen right now because of COVID. But that was the first set visit I've ever been on. Um, just doing it took a lot of effort because I, I've talked to this before, but I'm, I'm terrified of flying and I had to, you know, psych myself up and fly there. Uh, it was in, um, uh, it was, I think it was Montreal or Quebec or something like that. I don't forget where it was, somewhere in Canada. So, uh, and I had never been on a set visit before, you know, I've obviously read set visits, but I didn't really know what to expect, but it was just, it, it, um, I mean, ob- you know, obviously studios, when they fly you out there, they're, 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 they're trying to butter you up. So, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm a, I'm a complete hack, but going somewhere where people actually were like, they actually acted like they cared what I was doing. I was like, Oh, this is a new experience to me. Someone actually gives a, a shit about who I am and what I'm doing. And, you know, even if it's phony, I, it felt really good. And then to go to the set, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Stephen King fan and pet cemetery is my favorite Stephen King book. And, uh, when they actually like took us to, you know, the, the cemetery set, which was like in the woods and it looked like, it looked exactly how I had always pictured it from the book and like walking into the, the cemetery. And it was like, they, they took us there like as the sun was setting. So like it was dusk and it was really quiet cause we were in the middle of the woods and it was just like, this is like the best <laughs> moment of my life. Like I've never felt as good as I feel right now. Don't tell my wife I said that because she's going to think, like, what about our wedding day? But honestly, it was like the best. Why don't you marry Pet Cemetery? <laughs> but it was like the best feeling I had ever had in my life. And I was like, this is like, I, I this is going to sound like corny as hell, but it was like, oh, I finally like belong somewhere. In, I belong in this fake Pet Cemetery. Now, I belong, you know, I belong doing this. And it was like, I, I've never felt better than I, and it, like it, it, it came at, you know, I have my ups and downs and it, 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 that whole experience came at a moment where I was just like particularly down. And I was like, it made me just feel really good again. And then um, the other time it actually involves Comic-Con, but it has nothing to do with Comic-Con. So I, I did not really like Comic-Con. I did not like this period. But I really liked San Diego because the, the weather there is like perfect. It's a really nice, really nice place. And I remember I had downtime. I think it was like the last full day I was there. And my my wife had told me about this beach where there are seals that like just come up at seals and sea lions. And I was like, I'm going to go to that that place. And all right, so this is embarrassing and it's going to highlight how how painfully white I am. So I get in the cab and I say, can you take me to La Jolla Cove? And the cab driver, <laughs> the cab driver was like, you mean La Jolla? And I was like, yes, that is what I meant. Because I had never heard the, I had never heard the place said out loud. I just read it because I had seen it a link online. So uh, I looked like the, the whitest man on the planet saying that, but uh, it was like a 20, 30 minute cab ride from where we were, but he took me out there and I got, and the whole time I was driving there, I was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to see anything. And like the minute I stepped out of the out of the cab by this like rocky cliff, there were all these seals and sea lions just hanging out. And I was like, this is the most magical experience of my life. And like the sea was bright blue and there were mountains everywhere and it was just gorgeous. And I just like hung out there for like a half hour just looking at seals and sea lions and doing <laughs> nothing else. And it was like, this is like great. This is like, this made... You know, uh, up until then, I was like, Comic-Con is is the devil. And that moment, just the fact that I was I was there and was able to do that made me be like, all right, this is the one really good thing about coming here is I got to I got to see some sea, seals and sea lions 
and also make a complete ass of myself by calling it Lajola. <laughs> so yeah, that those are those are really my my two biggest. Uh, what about uh, when Quentin Tarantino called you, Chris? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that old chef. Oh, yeah. that, that was my fine. best friend, QT. <laughs> I mean, really, that was that was like stressful. So I can't. I mean, it was you know, it was like an amazing experience, but. It was stressful because, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino calling me on the phone and I was, you know, talking to him and uh, I don't know, that, that moment was kind of like bittersweet because after it was over, I was like, oh man, this is it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a big deal now. And it, obviously I was not a big deal after that. And I just went back to sucking immediately after the phone call ended. <laughs> so it, it kind of like took the wind out of my sails. Cause I was like, this is a big moment for me. And you know, I don't want to make this too negative, but you know, this industry, you're, you, you always yeah. got to keep, uh, you kind of got to keep one upping yourself. You can't just be like, all right, I, 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 I'm done. You have to keep going and it's, it's tiring sometimes it's very exhausting. So, uh, as cool as it was to have my phone ring and have him say, hello, this is Quentin Tarantino. Uh, after it was over, I was sort of just like, what happens now? And the answer was nothing, nothing. happened. <laughs> so... <laughs> Chris, I just want to say I miss you. Like, I, we haven't gotten on a podcast in a while, and like, I, I, I wish you could see the grin on my face while you're, you're saying this. Like, it, it's really, it's really great to be interacting with you right now. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, okay, so uh, who haven't we talked? Uh, Brad, what do you? What is your some some of your favorite moments? Yeah, so kind of piggybacking off the the Comic Con thing, uh, Sundance is one of my favorite things. Um, we've, obviously, we've never all been able to go to Sundance at the same time because that would be crazy. Um, but like, I've been fortunate enough to go with with Peter several times, and you know, and Ben and Chris, and it's um, Jacob. Have you gone? To, have you gone? You've gone to Sundance, haven't you? Uh, no, I've never been to Sundance or TIFF. I've, I've done all the Texas fests. Oh, okay, for, I, maybe I'm just thinking of Comic Con then. But yeah, I love Sundance just because it gives us an opportunity like to get together for like you know uh, almost a week, and we're all just seeing a bunch of different movies and always talking about movies with everybody. Not you know not just ourselves, but anybody who is in line. Like everybody is talking about movies. Everyone's so excited to be there. Uh, it's it's just such a thrilling experience to be there, especially because we're seeing so many of these movies for the first time, you know, this is where like the buzz starts for a lot of these movies and you really start getting a passion for them way before anybody else will, will see them and be excited about them. And along with that comes like, for me, I think some of the most rewarding experiences where I'm seeing a movie for the first time and I fall in love with it. And, you know, you write a review and there's immediate reaction from filmmakers, especially if you get to uh, interview them afterwards, something like that, like you, you find out immediately when people have like, read your review because they're out there looking for the good reviews and like they want that reassurance that like their their movie is hitting audiences and like it helps with them getting it sold and that kind of thing so they're so excited about it like uh one of the most rewarding experiences i had and this is such like a smaller movie that never really got uh huge attention or anything like that but it's this um like romantic comedy called save the date that's directed by uh michael mohan and I, I had reviewed it like the day before. And then I had set up um, uh, an, an interview to talk to them about that. And then I, when I went there and like, they were, uh, the, you know, they asked, they're like, Oh, who are you? And I explained to them and they're like, Oh, and um, the first person I talked to was actually Jordan Horowitz um, who produced this movie. And he would later go on to produce one of my other favorite movies, La La Land, which is crazy to think about. Um, and so he, I, I told him and he was like, oh, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And he went and grabbed the director, Michael Mohan. He goes, he goes, this is the guy. And I'm like, 
what what's going on like am i in trouble and he's and he's like he's like um he's like this is the guy who wrote that review and he's like oh my gosh and he gave me a hug and he's like he's like your review you know like made me cry like you like like you got it and like this is exactly what we're trying to do and there have been i've been lucky enough to like to meet certain filmmakers and like just to hear them you know be so pleased with like the reception of the movie and like what you have to say about it it's it's very rewarding and it just like it it really makes like like chris said you know it makes you feel like you're belong like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and it reminds you just like how sometimes these kinds of things like the stuff that we write about movies will get people to watch them will get people you know it shows that filmmakers like it shows them that they're they feel like they're doing the right thing um and so Sundance for me has been just a rewarding experience that way being able to bolster movies that I love that might not otherwise get as much attention and being kind of part of that helping people discover it you know like that's usually the place where like we'll end up seeing our, you know, uh, reviews, like put on trailers and posters and stuff like that. And that's, that's an experience that has like never gotten old, like to be able be able to see, you know, your, your name in that capacity, like sure it's being used like to market a movie and like, it's not as rewarding as making that movie, but it's just, it, it makes you feel like, you know, to be a part of something very cool. Yeah. As, as someone who's been going to Sundance for over 10 years, like you're always chasing that high of, like, I, I get it. Like, you can go to movie theaters at, in your own neck of the woods and, and see movies, but usually by then you're seeing all these trailers, all these, like, all this marketing, all this promotion. Like, going to Sundance, it's, it's almost, I mean, nowadays you know a little bit more about it, but back in the day, it was like you knew nothing going into that, that theater for the first time. And you're chasing that high of being completely bowled over, like, emotionally and it's just totally by a piece of art and uh th that was one of my favorite things about that and like yeah definitely writing about stuff after i i totally co-signed on that one brad that, that is a good one ben what is uh some of your favorite moments uh yeah i have a few real quicks um interviewing barry jenkins for if beale street could talk that's just like one of my favorite uh conversations that i've had with a director i thought that was a really uh enlightening interview um i got to talk to kurt russell for guardians of the galaxy volume two and that was just like i don't really remember anything about the content of the interview itself in that case it was just being in a room with kurt russell he's just like you know such a cool dude um so that was pretty fun and sort of like along that same along those same lines uh, i got to ask steven spielberg a question at the ready player one press conference like i was not uh deemed cool enough to get uh, access to like a one-on-one -on -one interview with him. I think very few outlets were, um, but I attended the press conference that I was like in the back of the room and sort of flagged somebody to somebody down to give me a microphone. And I got to like speak to him directly and ask him about his relationship with nostalgia. And he gave me a really thoughtful answer. So it was just like, uh, you know, getting to, <laughs> getting to talk to Steven Spielberg, even though it was across a room, you know, with uh, probably a hundred other people in it or something. Um, it, you know, bridging that gap and, and creating a direct line uh, was a really cool moment. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember at Sundance a couple of years ago uh, having maybe a little bit too much alcohol with Chris and and Chris and I trying to get into some sort of party. Where we no, were no. Just... We, oh, that, that was fun. So first, <laughs> first we started at 
it was like the fighting for my family part or yes. whatever that rock movie was. It was oh, yeah. you and we were all waiting because like we thought we th- thought Dwayne Johnson was gonna show up before yes, the premiere. Yeah. And we had had a few drinks and so we were just like just really getting excited for the rock to show up. And we kept asking, we were like, is the rock gonna show up? And they were like, Yeah, he is. And he never showed up. So and then at one point Brad had to go off to a screening and I, I was going to the premiere of Fighting for My right. Family. And so, yeah, Ben and I were the only, and we kept drinking. And then after the part, like, we didn't have a screening for hours. And I, I think I, I was like, let's try and crash other parties. Cause I was very drunk and go on, Ben, you tell I the rest of the story. I get drunk with Chris. No, yeah, it was great. I just, I have a video on my phone that sometimes I'll scroll back through and, and just watch. And it's like uh, me and Chris walking down main street and there was a locked door that has like uh, it was missing the doorknob on it. And we were, we were pointed in that direction by somebody who said, Hey, the after party for this other Sundance movie is at this address on main street. Oh, it was and like the, the Wu Tang Clan was going to play it. I think it was something like, oh, yeah, yeah. When they were, they were like, I got to see the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> so, like, we walked to this building, and the door is there, and it's like sort of, um, I don't know, it's like blockaded shut somehow. But the uh, there's no doorknob on it, and Chris and I are like just standing there confused. Like, I'm pretty sure this is where we're supposed to be. And this video I have on my phone is like Chris with a drink in hand. I think is like his. He puts his face down in the hole of where the doorknob should be, and he's like. We're here for the party. Let us in. <laughs> and there's nobody there. It's just like an abandoned building. And I think, you know, it was like three uh, buildings down or something is where we ultimately needed to go. Um, so, that's, yeah, you know, there are little moments like that. Uh, the rare occasions that I've had to to meet up with you guys in person have been uh, memorable in that regard. And then um, I guess just in terms of like writing, uh, the, the example that jumps immediately to mind is um, co-writing that deep dive into Jordan Peele's Us with Jacob where like I just remember coming out of that movie and just having so many uh, so many ideas about what the hell was going on in that movie and uh, these ideas about what the, the metaphors mean and everything. And Jacob had like so many ideas as well. And we just sort of tag teamed uh, this, this piece that ended up just being like this behemoth of an article. Um, but yeah, the, occasionally little things like that will happen, you know, completely organically. We, we plan a lot of coverage at the site where like, you know, there'll be, a, a big Star Wars movie, a big Marvel movie or something. And we're like, all right, we know that we need to, you know, cover this from as many angles as possible. Um, you know, partly because we, we enjoy doing that partly because we know it'll be good for, for business. Um, but us is one of those movies that I feel like that deep dive that Jacob and I did was like purely for, <laughs> I was going to say purely for us, but um, <laughs> purely for <laughs> Jacob and I, uh, our enjoyment and sort of, sort of being able to work through our thoughts from that. And I, I remember people responding pretty well to that piece. So, um, yeah, those little moments that sort of pop up organically, that, those are the things that I remember. Yeah. That piece was awesome. I remember we did a couple podcasts based on, or spawned by that piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty good. Uh, you mentioned Kurt Russell. I just wanted to, to tell a brief Kurt Russell story i was on the set of guardians of galaxy volume two and usually when you're on the set of a movie they're trying to keep uh certain aspects of that movie under wraps and at the time there was rumors that kurt russell was playing jason who is the father of peter quill the character played by uh chris um pratt pratt sorry I'm blanking well, on which Chris. Good Chris. So it's yeah. easy to forget his name. So uh, all during the day, like we're getting led around sets, uh, the art room. Uh, you know, we've asked the producer, we're like, so is, who's play- Kurt Russell playing? Uh, oh, we can't talk about that. Is he playing Jason? It was like, no, no, he's not playing Jason. Uh, we're on set. We 
you know, everybody's denying it. Uh, James Gunn denies that he's playing Jason. We see a chair on set that like literally the back of the chair says Jason in it. Kurt Russell's sitting in it, <laughs> which I don't, I only, I, I still to this day don't know why they were doing that. But um, so at the end of the day, we had this interview with Kurt Russell and he walks into the interview and he was like, the first question, I forget what the first question was. It had nothing to do with Jason or whatever. He just lets out. He was like, so in this movie, I play uh, Star-Lord's father. <laughs> like the, the whole like group of us press, like interviewing Kurt Russell, were like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> because like the whole day they had been like on a mission to tell us that he was not playing Jason. But of course he was not Jason. He was Ego. So it was a kind of a mashup of sorts. But anyways, um, uh, what was that, Jacob? Uh, can I share with you a, a, a similar story from a set visit? Yeah. I may have told all of you this story, but I don't think I've ever told the podcast and listeners at home. I think, I think enough time has passed that no one will get mad at me for telling it. Um, when, we were, when I was in uh, Sydney, Australia, for the set visit on Alien Covenant, this is my very first set visit. It must have been 2015, maybe 2016. And uh, we sat down for our first interview. It's with one of the producers. And he explains to us, oh, this is really Scott returning the horror. This is really Scott making a horror movie again. I'm like, oh, interesting. Then one of the actors sits down and the actor says to us in the interview, oh, yeah, I'm very excited. This is really Scott making horror again. And by this point, all the press are like, oh, they're, they're, they've been fed a company line. They're, they're, they're trying to make sure we write in our headlines, really Scott's making a horror movie again. And this pattern repeats throughout the day. Every actor, every producer, the costume designer, the production designers, the makeup designers, all of them always say, yeah, really Scott's making a horror movie. This is a horror film. Really Scott's <laughs> harking back to the original Alien. It's a horror movie. And at the very end of the day, right before we get on the bus, we get five minutes with Ridley Scott. And he's so busy that he is, like, we can talk to him on set while an assistant director hovers over him, while the crew scatters around him. It's, it's when there's that big, giant temple set with the giant heads. And we, we we're, the audio from this recording is barely audible because people are just moving about. And Ridley Scott clearly just has other things to do, but he's being very polite. And we hold, hold out our phones, hold out our recorders. And the first question asked Ridley Scott is, so, we hear this is your return to horror. Ridley Scott pauses and goes, no. <laughs> uh, I, also, I, have a, I have a story, too, that's also similar. I'm, I don't think I've told on the podcast before. I've, I'm pretty sure I've told it to you guys. But um, it was a, a Marvel movie set visit for Captain America Civil War. And this movie was a big deal, not just because bringing all these Marvel characters together to fight each other, but because it was the debut of Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It had been uh, reported on by the trades. It was, you know... Everything but official. Um, but Marvel uh, and everyone associated with the movie was still playing coy about it. We uh, we interviewed like almost everybody that was part of the cast, which was a huge cast. Everyone tried to ask like questions to get them to talk about Spider Man, and from the producers uh, to the Russo brothers to the actors, everyone was like, "Well, we don't know if we're getting Spider Man yet. It's been talked about, and it's you know an option that is that is on the table, but we honestly don't don't know if that's going to happen yet." This happens all day throughout all the interviews. And so finally, it's getting towards the end of our day, and we talked to uh, one of the um, the costume people on, on set, and uh, he's showing us the, the different stuff that they have there, and like the stunt wardrobe, and like the, what they put on for different scenes and reasons. And finally, and someone asked, uh, you know, acting as if we're already in the know, did you also design the, the new Spider-Man suit? And immediately he just goes, oh yeah, there's two different suits. 
there's there's one that Tony Stark gives him, and then there's one that he made himself, and we all just look around like we just hit the jackpot. And the publi- the publicity the publicist on set, I, we look over at him, and he's just sitting in this chair. And he just immediately slumps over and puts his hand in his head, like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> and we never got to run that stuff about Spider Man because they they wanted to keep it secret, even after it was confirmed. Like we never got to run anything that he said about Spider Man. <laughs> Yeah, like the best people on a set to get any information from is like the costume designer or the prop master because they don't seem to like, I don't know, maybe they glance at like the list of they, they, everybody that talks to you on the set gets like this list, which I'm sure is the same list that like everybody on that Prometheus or Alien Covenant set got. Those like, you know, mention like it's a, a list of talking points and a list of things that you shouldn't talk about and i'm guessing on that alien list it was like you know mention that this is ridley scott's return to horror <laughs> and uh it, it, those guys usually those kind of craftsmen usually i think glance at that list and don't really uh pay too much attention so you can get some some spoilers from them but um i have, I have i'm sorry while we're swapping stories i have one <laughs> more set visit story that i've never told in the podcast before yeah. and it's to the point where the people who were there for a set visit if we see each other at other events we will still repeat it to each other because it, it was memorable enough uh it was a set of shane black's the predator and a movie that when we were there we saw sets and characters and locations that were never in the final movie the movie was so radically changed uh and reshoots but we were interviewing olivia munn who was there with her rescue dog and we were nearby the set, and in the middle of the interview, they started filming a take where machine gun fires are going off. Uh, this, the loudest machine gun fire, just like three machine guns firing at once. All blanks, of course, but it's still loud. And Olivia Munn's dog leaps out of her arms the gunfire and just runs across the set, desperate to get away from the noise. Olivia Munn stands up and goes, Frankie, no! And ever since then, <laughs> Frankie, no! Is a thing that a few people from that set visit will still say to each other. Every so often when we encounter one another on work trips. That is that is funny. Does anybody else have any good set visit stories? Uh Colin Farrell at the Dumbo set visit, uh, his chair broke underneath him while he was talking. <laughs> like Wow. Yeah, it was uh, apparently a really bad chair but it's one of those you know chairs on set visits that are kind of the foldable wooden ones uh and like in the middle of him speaking it just collapsed and uh he let out uh, a string of, of swears in his irish brogue uh it was great <laughs> so yeah that was that was one for me not a very fun story actually but um Colin Farrell. I'm picturing it, and I'm, I'm very amused. <laughs> yes. I will say that he came in, and his shirt was, like, half open because he had, like, his button down, and only, like, half of the buttons were, were um, buttoned. So all the women on that set visit were, like, having a great time. So... <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that's the story. Um, Danny DeVito came in with a Democracy Now! cap and then started talking about all his nude scenes that he's done. So that was cool. <laughs> yeah. My, my stories are not that fun anyways <laughs> I, I will say that the uh most of the time in set visits the uh directors and the filmmakers are sort of are really busy and don't really want to talk to you they get shuffled in for, for a few minutes uh, at some point uh the doctor sleeps at visit mike flanagan treated all the press like guests he went to them between he came to us between takes sat down with us answered questions took us on a personal tour of the set and it's the, the only time where i felt a filmmaker 
was just actively happy to have people on a set. And I was like, hey, you're in my house. I'm going to treat you like your guest in my home. So Mike Flanagan, genuinely good dude. That's that's one of the most like satisfying things is when a director really takes the time to like actually, you know, speak meaningfully and significantly and at length like with us about, you know, the process and about the movie itself. There's, there's been two really great experiences I had where filmmakers were really generous with their time. And that was my very first set visit. Peter, you did the set visit too. Real uh, still? Yeah. Well, the first one where I met you where not only did, did Sean Levy come talk to us a bunch of times throughout the set visit, but he act, like, there was a whole dinner with the press where he just like sat and just talked to us. And like, it wasn't even really like an interview. Like some people had their recorders and there was some stuff he said about the movie, but it was mostly just like talking about just filmmaking and other movies and things like that. And I had a similar experience with uh, the set visit for Thor Ragnarok. Uh, we, we all went out to dinner and uh, Taika Waititi was there. And, and th- this was like a three hour meal where he was just, just sat and was just, just talking to us and just having a good time. And it's, it's, it was an incredible experience. And to give perspective to people that are out here listening, usually on a set, the person that you get the least amount of time with is the director because they're so busy trying to make a movie and you usually get them in between takes as like they've already given the direction to the actors and all the crew, whatever. And they have like five minutes and everybody's like setting up the next shot and they come over and like he ant- like they answer one question and like they get pulled away back to the set. Like, and they, then you get this fragmented interview that's taken from like, four different times when the director had like five minutes to come over. So you rarely get that amount of time with people. Uh, anybody else have any good set visit stories? I mean, uh, being on set for a Michael Bay uh, explosion at his oh, crew, yeah. bo- both an explosion literally and him yelling at his crew for, <laughs> for messing up like the prop guns was, uh, was that was, that was a great thing to see. <laughs> Michael uh, Bay does not disappoint in like he is the cartoon character that you expect and want him to be. Like when you see him on set and how uh, he's just yelling at everybody, but at the same time. And he, he gets in there with cameras too. Like there were like legit yeah. big explosions going on and like vehicles racing in. And he's just jumping in there with like a steady cam rig or a handheld rig and right right in the middle of it. And it's it's crazy how close he's getting to everything that's going on. But it's funny, like he's always acting like he doesn't care what anybody thinks. Like he showed us some footage. on. I, I was on a different Transformer set, I think the one before the one you went to. And uh, he showed us some footage on set and like, I guess we didn't like after the, the sizzle reel played, we didn't clap or anything. So he just awkwardly like walked away. Like, I, I don't know. I think he was expecting us to clap or, or something. And then like later on, I, I heard that like he called some people over and was like, what did they think? What did, what did they? And then like, you don't expect that from Michael Bay, but like he's such like that kind of person who acts like he doesn't care about anybody, but he really wants the validation. I don't know. Uh, Yes. Uh, Jacob, did you, it sound like you had something else to say? Oh, uh, I just want to say that when you spend two days on the set of Mortal Engines, uh, and you realize <laughs> that even the worst movies have so many people working so hard, it changes how you think about how movies are made. Also, it's crazy, too, how, like, uh, set, like, set visits initially, like, it, it may, they obviously want you to, like, think the best about the movie going into it, and you're hoping that it's going to be good. And it's so disappointing when, like, you feel like, oh, maybe the pieces could come together for this. Because, like, I remember uh, being very skeptical about Independence Day Resurgence and doing that set visit and, like, seeing the big sets that they had made and talking to everybody and, like, and like 
just like it, it felt like there were some really cool things going on and then it's just so disappointing when the movie ends up being just shit <laughs> yeah hey, uh, I, I did write an article from my hotel room in sydney uh <laughs> on the alien covenant set visit uh where i defended independence day resurgence i'll never forget sitting there saying i could be seeing this city here i am instead defending this movie from the likes of you <laughs> i'm sorry jacob <laughs> You know, I have a set visit story that I've never told, and I'm, I'm, I never thought I would tell publicly, but I, I, I maybe it's interesting. So um, uh, I got invited. Uh, Darren Aronofsky at one point uh, was like, you need to come out to the set of my new movie. He was shooting this new movie in New York. It was um, – oh, my God. What's the name of the, the movie with Natalie Portman? My name Black is uh, – Black Swan. Black Swan, Yes. Uh, and it wasn't like usually we are filmed to movie sets or, or f- sorry, flown to movie sets by the studios and stuff like that. Um, but this was kind of like he was like, you can come to the set and like I'll let you write about it. And uh, I'll put you in touch with the the Fox Searchlight unit publicist and stuff like that. So I, I had to book my own like travel. I was flying out to New York for like, you know, flew out one day, stayed at a bed and breakfast, went to the movie set and was going to be flying back that night and uh i booked my travel i booked the bed and breakfast uh in brooklyn somewhere uh, i was shooting in brooklyn they were filming uh across the street from some museum in like an apartment it was uh natalie portman's apartment in the movie um and the day i, I was before i was supposed to fly out there i get this uh call or i got this email from the you know public systems like can, can we change the day that you're coming to set can you come like next week instead of tomorrow or like uh two days from now or whatever and i was like uh n- no and he was like Look, can i call you i was like sure and he calls me and it's like you know well they're they're shooting in a small space and uh like is there any way you could change your travel and i was like no i bought a, like a non-refundable ticket from la to new york and I have like this bed and breakfast. I, you know, non-refund. Like I can't do anything. He was like, "Okay, we'll we'll make it work. We'll we'll, we'll get you in there. It's fine. It, everything's fine." Um, so I fly in there uh, the day before, and I get a call from the publicist. Like, you know what? You were supposed to come here at like nine a.m. Can can you come a little later in the day? Because like that scene that I was telling you, like it's a cramped area. Can you come like later? Like come around noon or something like that. So I was like, sure, sure, I'll, I'll come around noon. Uh, so I show up at this apartment building. It's across from uh, one of the museums in Brooklyn. Uh, maybe HT would know which one. I don't remember in the movie. Uh, I know that you can museum. Uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, I have it written down somewhere. I've never been able to publish this story, by the way. Um, so I, uh, I, when I arrived, the unit publicist shows up and he's frantic. He's like, like, it's obvious that he doesn't want me there. Um, and he doesn't want to bring me up to the set. Like we're down at, at, like the ground floor of this, of this apartment building. And uh, I think it's in between takes. Aronofsky comes out and he's like, Oh, Peter, what, why, why isn't he up there? He should be up there. Get him up there. Uh, so the unit public, uh, publicist brings me up to the uh, floor. They are renting out one whole floor of this apartment building. So like one of the apartment rooms had like the craft service or something, or had like the makeup room. One was the actual room that was, uh, 
Natalie Portman's character's room from the movie. And then like another apartment was like, you know, for other crew members and the director and stuff to like sit behind the monitor and stuff like that. And um, I'm in this room where the it's the makeup room and they're filming something. And like, uh, again, I feel like I'm not wanted i'm not supposed like i'm there with like my recorder because this is before like you know i use my iphone as a recorder i'm there with my recorder my notebook and it, it just felt like so i'm there in that room and i i feel like you know the you know, publicist doesn't want me to be watching filming and uh again aronofsky in between takes comes out of there and is like why is he not in there you should he, should he needs to be like well he's here for a set visit he should be watching the filming of the movie uh, so the unit publicist is like, oh, okay, okay, we'll get him in there the, the the next take. And I'm like looking at like this cart that had a paper with the like what they were shooting for the day. I forget what that the call sheet, I guess it's called. And the line on the call sheet for what they were filming was Nina does her homework. Nina's the Natalie Portman's character. And I was like, well, why did like I don't know? That seems like I could easily watch her doing her homework. Like it doesn't seem like a big deal. So they, um, the unit publicist comes over to me. He's like, okay, so you need to put your recorder away. Uh, you know, leave, leave your notebook over here. I'm going to give you um, – actually, no. He was like, take this notebook and act like you're like work. Like, we're going to have you go in there and watch the scene, but you got to act like you're like one of the, the people working on the movie, okay? Because it's supposed to be a closed set um so there's not supposed to be like a reporter in there um so you you're you're just working on the movie um and i was like okay i felt really weird about it but i was like already you know i flew to new york i i was like okay i'll go in there um so i go in there i'm in the hallway of a scene and they're in a bedroom and um there's like a natalie portman's stunt or double is like in her bed and uh they're like okay we're we're, we're gonna shoot the scene uh, natalie portman's double leaves and portman goes into the bed and action natalie portman starts masturbating in front of me in the bed because the scene is like her instructor gave, i don't know gave her homework i i don't remember the scene in the what exactly happened in the movie but I re- I remember that she would like the scene was her masturbating in a bed. And then at the end of the scene, she looks into the door in the hallway where I was standing with a clipboard and a pen, like acting like I was working on the movie because she supposedly like sees her like director. Like she gets scared, spooked because she sees her director like looking at her or something like that. No, I remember the scene that she sees her mother. Our mother. But 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 Chris, I'm there. Like the mother is not there. There's nobody there, and I'm not even supposed to be on this. Like, like I'm like what the like what is going on here? I'm watching like one of the. They should have kept that in the film. Like you should have just cut to Peter. What the hell? Who is that guy? Yeah, so that was the I scene I got. Scene this... too. It's like one of the memorable scenes because it's just like, yeah, yeah. Why, yeah. why? Why did Darren want you there for that scene? <laughs> it's the most awkward scene to be there for. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just wanted me to see the film. I don't, I don't think it like was specifically he wanted me for the. I don't think like when he when we organized it, it was supposed to be that. Like I think production changes, so it's not like it was organized for me to be for that scene i think what happened was they found out it was going to be that scene that day that i was going to be there and they tried to move me 
to a different day. And then like, but he was like friendly with me. So he wants like me to get something to write about. But then in, at the end of the day, I did this like whole interview with him. I did an interview with the, the writer of the movie there. And I was not allowed to print any of it. <laughs> So, but I was there. So if you see the movie and you see Natalie Portman uh, looks to the door, I, that, imagine that is me, not the mother. That's hilarious. The same again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. real weird. This is an all-timer story, Peter. I'm so glad she's on yeah, the Thank yeah. you yeah. for telling us. Rewatch Black Swan and just picture you standing there in the, in the corner <laughs> with your with your notebook. Yeah, I, I, in, in the moment, like I didn't because I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know she was going to like look towards the uh, towards me. I thought like she realized that I was uh, I was What's a this reporter. Guy yeah. Here. yeah. She, she so. looks directly at Peter and Peter just awkwardly waves. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So there's there's my all-time story. I know we we we're already an hour and a half into this and we're, we're probably running to an end. We we were going to talk about like favorite podcast moments, but I I, I, I I know Jacob, you have some obligations that you need to get to, and we probably need to. No, let, let's run around the table real quick and do a favorite podcast. Well, there's only moment. one, right? Like everyone is, probably has the same one. Exactly. You know what we have to do right now? We have to do a, a, uh, a line for line reenactment of Penny uh, no. Keller's Fool Us. Uh, no. <laughs> I still, I still hear about this, Peter. Uh, People come to me at film festivals and events and say, and, and say so. Pen and Teller's fool us. <laughs> Peter, hey. Peter I, I have to ask, in retrospect now, do you feel like the fight was, was worth it? Have you kind of like changed your mind on your perspective of the argument at all? I, no, I, I don't. I don't. I honestly don't. Because I honestly <laughs> still believe of that decade, that is one of the best shows. It was uh, responsible for, well, okay. Is it one of the best shows of that decade Oh man! Is it one of the best shows of that decade? Period. Uh, like it, it generally, no. Okay. It, 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 is it one of the best shows? If you're talking about like the five of us, like it, collectively, that is one of the best shows. I think it is. It's uh, one of the best shows to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I, well, yeah, if, I think I, I, if I'm in there, like it's. It, I'm not saying it's the number one best show of the decade. Uh, even with the five of us in there, but I felt like it should have been represented because it was my favorite show of the of that decade. Like, so that that was my argument for it. Uh, I will say that like uh, this decade of uh, Fool Us is not good. So um, it has gone downhill. <laughs> I have no defense of that. I, I still watch. Well, it. I still Peter, like now it. what the hell am I supposed to look forward to in twenty twenty nine? I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll link that in the show notes so everybody can relive that. Everybody making uh, fun of me for uh, <laughs> for pushing for fool us to be. Re- I don't know. It, it was also okay in defense. This is my time to defend myself because I feel like I, in defense, I felt like everybody else was getting these shows that I had never seen or heard. Like some of them I hadn't even heard of, like some comedies and stuff. And I was like, my fit. Why isn't why don't I get my say of like, this is my favorite show of the last decade. And everybody's just like poo pooing it like outright because it's mad, a magic variety show. I like that show. <laughs> I, I, I helped you defend it a little bit. Yeah. But anyways, so that, that is my defense, but I do understand why it's one of the most infamous moments. And <laughs> the, the other infamous moment that I want to revisit because I still hear about this one too, is the all of you against me argument over the quality of that terrible movie home alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, still really like Home Alone. Or, 
did all, all of our cri- uh, Christmas movie conversations, and especially your your um, I, I don't know if you would call them hot takes, Jacob, but your your delineation of like what is and isn't a Christmas movie. I feel like that's a, a pretty legendary uh, run of, of podcast episodes. Yeah, I, I feel very very strongly about this. Still, Die Hard, not a Christmas movie. Did we <laughs> did we have our argument about bagels on the podcast, or oh, was we, that just in Slack? Oh, that was just in the Slack, wasn't it? I think that was just in uh, the Slack untoasted bagels are a monstrosity I, I, yeah. I do think it did make it into the podcast as well it, it evolved it went from slack to twitter i think and then it made its way into the water coolers so i'm not finding this to link it because i don't know what water cooler that's in but it's there somewhere you can find it uh the just use google i guess <laughs> we, we, we don't we, we don't got a search bar on slash home so um uh, Uh, by by the way for everybody listening i've heard about the search bar i've heard about the lack of the search bar you can stop dming me stop at messaging uh, me i literally do not have control of this matter i've rung up the flagpole the people above me are aware of it and if they choose to add a a search bar you will know stop asking me about a search bar I, i think people are asking jacob because I don't think it's really what about a fun starch. bagel conversation. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really no, but I, I think now we have more news than ever before. Then we have more features than ever before. Like I go to the site now and it's hard to find an article from yesterday because we've had so much content in the course of just 24 hours. And we had a lot of content in 24 hours before this expansion. Uh, so I think that's probably what's driving it. It's not really about the search. It's about like, I need to find that thing that I saw the other day, and I can't find it. Hey, man, it's infinite scroll all the way down. You'll find it if you scroll for about 10 seconds. That's what I'm telling people. Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, uh, anybody have any other moments that they want to bring up? Favorite podcast moments? Uh, Speaking of hot takes, Ben hating on the Goonies. <laughs> I stand by it. Ben's right. Goonies. Ben is very yeah, right. No, no, no. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Ben's, Ben's had a couple of wild takes where I, I like have just totally caught me off guard. Oh, uh, Ben hating the Beatles on the show really upset. Me. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's not so much hate as like um, uh, agnosticism. Is that the right word? I don't know. Like, yeah, uh, yeah I, I just don't. Um, I, I I am aware of their place in the cultural firmament, Jacob. I just have never uh, devoted the time to like get into them i don't really know anything beyond maybe like their five or six most popular songs just from the radio or whatever uh and i've never done the work to uh to dive into their catalog so it's not like i hate them i'm just like oh yeah the beatles not really my thing like totally get that people love them but uh i think not it's my funnier jam. to me that yes the, the thing that turned you on to the beatles was the movie yesterday <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that movie. I think. Uh, I think that movie is better than people give it credit for. I understand that people don't like it very much. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know the the one thing I think I miss with the the slash home dailies is the emergency episodes when like some kind of big piece of news would break, and we rush to get together and record some kind of reaction, or even like something would break while we were recording an episode, but. It, why do you think we don't do these anymore? And it's not that be, like, I think it's there hasn't been like any big news, like huge, like mind 
breaking news or maybe it's that the world has changed like you know we're in the middle of this like unprecedented pandemic and uh also the the world of movies has changed like spider-man is now in the mcu and the, the like it, it, like what is an what is worthy of an emergency episode these days i guess is the question well, Martin like, Scorsese was going to direct a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that'd be a big one. <laughs> or a Marvel movie. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? Okay. If, if that happens, we're going to do an emergency episode for sure. But, okay. Uh, this brings us to the end. We, we, we got to get together more often, guys. Like, we need to figure out a way to make the water coolers happen because this has been a blast. And hopefully, hopefully the listeners out there that have been with us for at least some of these thousand episodes, I can't, I can't imagine someone's listened to every all thousand, but, um, yeah. And thanks. They- just thanks for listening. Cause like, you know, obviously we talk about movie stuff, but we also talk about like a bunch of nonsense that like half of the audience ends up probably not caring about. Like, I'm sure there's a bunch of people out there who don't give a shit about my stupid snacks and drinks, <laughs> but then, the, but then I have people who like reach out to me and like, like show me like new things that they've seen. And like, I, I had a, we had a listener who also listens to like my, my podcast. She's from Australia who actually sent me some stuff that's exclusive to Australia one time. And so like, there's a lot of people out there who are, who are just awesome. Yeah. No, uh, the, the listeners out there are awesome. I, I can't tell you, uh, I, you know, because of the, the YouTube channel I do, I get recognized a lot in, in theme parks for, for that, but it's always like a blast when I'm like at like Comic-Con or something and someone in line in front of me like turns around and just like just because they heard the voice they're like oh my god i listen to slash film daily you know like th- that is the coolest because it's like someone recognizes your voice what's, um, what's the weirdest place you guys have have been recognized if there is a weird place uh, one time i was in natalie portman <laughs> I, I do have a waiter caught me at, at an austin restaurant called easy tiger because he recognized my voice from the slash really podcast so. nice i got i got stopped outside of uh the lonely island concert like i was walking like fairly swiftly like so we get back to our car to beat traffic and someone at a crosswalk time they're like and they go they're like they're like are you ethan anderson I was, and I just stopped and I was like, yeah. And they were like, slash from daily. I was like, they're like, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think to me, the weirdest thing is like, if when I'm at like a, a big thing for like a movie premiere or something like that, and like there's literally, you know, um, Adam Driver is walking down the red carpet in front of me and people are freaking out at me being there. <laughs> And like, and I'm like, no, look behind you. Behind you, there's like the real celebrities. Yeah, take that, Adam Driver. (laughs) Uh, But okay, I I, I think did did anybody want anything? Have anything else to say? This is the historic thousandth, one thousandth episode of the podcast. Does anybody have any any conclusive thoughts? I I have two things to say. Um, First one is that working with you guys has been the, one of the great joys of my life. No matter how much things change, uh, and no matter how much things evolve, no matter what happens, I'm always going to treasure the years I spent on this show, on the website, working with you. And I'm, I'm very happy to consider all of you my friends as well as my colleagues. Um, uh, number two, I've opened up the Gantrin book of insult, offense, and Cups and quips and implied put downs by Louis A. Safian. Uh, to the entertainers section, uh, uh, Peter, 
after your performance, they gave you the off key to the city. <laughs> off key? Wait, so I turned the city off. After, after your performance, they gave you the off key to the city. Oh, oh because I was off. Okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben, uh, you were egged on to acting by ambition and egged off the stage by the audience. Uh. <laughs> uh, HT, after that performance, if you had any enemies in the audience, she got even with them. Or you got even with them. I'll re- re- reread that. Sorry. <laughs> for that performance, if HT had any enemies in the audience, she got even with them. I got even with them? I, no, okay. oh, for because... that performance, if HT had any enemies in the audience, she got even with them. Because your yeah. performance was like it was a... Bad. Uh... It was real bad. It was so bad. Yeah. Uh, Chris, <laughs> people wait in line at every one of his performances to get out. <laughs> uh, and Brad... As an MC, he's an outstanding massacre of ceremonies. Oh, that's a that, crypt keeper joke. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with that, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>